0: Welcome to the Parley Podcast of the Hindu. I have with me K. Sujata Rao, former union health secretary who has worked on non-communicable diseases and introducing vaccines in public health. She is the author of the book, Do We Care? On India's health system. Also joining us is K.M. Gopakumar. Who has been the legal advisor and senior researcher with the Third World Network, New Delhi. He works on the global intellectual property regime and its impact on developing countries. So, could I start off by asking uh, you sequentially, uh, you know, now that the central government has shifted, you know, the responsibility for vaccination uh, largely to the states and uh, to do their own procurement and also allowed market fixed prices. So, how do we view? Against the task of vaccinating all Indians, you know, during the current year and with this rising number of cases, what do you? What is your view of uh, you know the impact of this policy that we are pursuing now, Dr. Sujatha? Please start off.
1: Well, you know, if you uh, see the population, it's uh, we need to vaccinate overall. Say, I'm taking round figures, not actuals, about say 950 million people who are above 18. And of that, about four, four, five hundred are are equally spread. About five hundred are in the plus forty-five. Another five hundred are in the plus eighteen to forty-five. So right now, and together we need about one and a half billion doses. Right now, the production is what about sixty million doses per day per per month, and we already have about. 358 million people who have yet to be vaccinated in the above 45 years age group. So the government of India is committed to providing free vaccine for all above 45, and for that they need about 700 million doses to complete that target. So at this rate, unless and it'll take them very very long long, even if they earmark 30 million doses per month for that requirement. So, actually speaking, there is really not much of a vaccine to go around, and uh, therefore, unless and until, uh, in fact, uh, they have been very impractical in just taking only fifty percent of the vaccine. They need to have taken the whole production uh, and to finish the uh, target that they target group that they had set out to do, because this is going to cause quite a lot of delay, and unless and production is stepped up now these two companies are saying from july onwards they'll be able to produce 112 million doses or 115 million doses per month with that it might get a bit easier Uh, even then it will take government almost government of india almost six to eight months to finish the target group at the rate of two doses for each and uh, so really speaking what they're doing is they're focusing on the target group they had identified which has an epidemiological and scientific basis, as opposed to the current demand to say, "You please also include the younger persons above 18 to 45 years. Now, there is a need for that urgency also, mainly because we find that almost 45% of the deaths are in this age group of uh, 20 to 50. And uh, so what the government of India is trying to do is saying, okay, keep it at market prices. And uh, the market prices being quite high, the 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 state governments may not be able to afford buying and supplying free, or only the richer sections among this age group will be able to. Whoever can afford the private prices will be able to get themselves uh, uh, um, vaccinated. So it is some kind of market segmentation and fragmentation of the market that they are trying to do in order to get the supply and demand in sync
2: at uh, some level. Okay. Mr. Gopakumar? So I think the important uh, uh, objective in the policy is that to accelerate the vaccination. But the, uh, the way in which the uh, new policy is uh, designed, uh, I am afraid we may not achieve that acceleration uh, precisely because of its fragments the market. So oh, now the market is divided into three broad categories and a, a differential pricing. So this is going to hamper uh, hamper the bulk procurement and uh, making it available at an affordable price. So that's a, a first uh, factor which is going to slow down the acceleration of uh, vaccination. Second, once it is open for the states to compete now to get the vaccine, and as uh, already we know that there is a limited supply. So therefore uh, the states, earlier there was only one single procuring and Agency that's the central government. Now you have uh, uh, in that place. Now there are 28 states that are going to compete uh, with the along with the private hospitals to proc- uh, for the procurement of vaccines. So all these will have uh, uh, you know a, a, uh, implications on the acceleration of the vaccine targets. So I am afraid that uh, we may not uh, the policy instead of accelerating the vaccination, it may slow down uh, further.
0: So I wanted to ask you, based on uh, you know all your long expertise, uh, how does the uh, from a public health approach, you know, how does the current uh, vaccine policy, you know, how can you view it against all the vaccination campaigns that have been done in India before, whether it's polio or you know whether it's the other vaccines, uh, what kind of comparison can we draw? I mean, we we now find that uh, you know there seems to be some kind of a new model in the way that uh, they are approaching vaccination.
1: See, I think they haven't thought through this whole vaccine policy. They they didn't at all think about supply when they kept on giving themselves the target for free vaccination. Uh, and, and as you can see, the eligibility criteria has been increasing steadily. First, it started with all the healthcare providers. Then they said the healthcare workers. Then after that, they said all elderly populations above 65. Then they said those who are... Uh, Uh, with comorbidities above 45. So, you know, they kept on expanding the eligibility criteria on basis of risk, which is a good thing, which is not bad, but they never kept an eye on the supply. What is the potential available to supply this emerging demand? And I think they were not expecting this Wave 2, and the anxieties that Wave 2 has therefore uh, created and triggered a huge demand for vaccines Because initially, during the lull period, from October to March, there was really, I mean, hardly 16 deaths or whatever. It was very, the the pandemic was kind of, seemed to be petering out. There was a sense of comfort and there was this vaccine hesitancy, largely not only because of the uh, confusion of of the nature of the vaccines that we have, but largely also feeling that the pandemic is out of its way out on its way, and therefore there's no need to take a vaccine. We've seen this phenomena under H1N1 in 2010, uh, when we did provide the vaccines, but by that time H1N1 had petered out, and we could not get even the healthcare providers to take the vaccine. So keeping this in mind, they also felt that, you know, it could be vaccine hesitancy being what it is. Uh, There's not going to be much of a demand, so they were cautious and not doing advance purchase uh, agreements nor were they stockpiling. And they, they thought that these two indigenous companies would be adequate, their production level would be adequate to meet the steady demand, which will grow steadily, and by the year-end, they'll be able to cover everyone. But they never realized that there would be this kind of a wave, too, uh, which literally triggered a huge demand that they're now today not able to uh, uh, to face and they're not prepared for. So that's the reason why that window they lost in uh, sorting out the vaccine supply position in giving them the, the capital investment required by these companies to expand their production base or in trying to see that other companies also got this know-how and they they also got into the production line or having advanced purchase agreements with the imported vaccine facts, uh, uh, companies and so on. So none of these arrangements were made And I think that partly this uh, sense of comfort came uh, in the backdrop of feeling that the pandemic is on its way out, uh, there's a vaccine hesitancy and so there's no real need to, no urgency to do any stockpiling. So this is, uh, we've missed an opportunity and now we are in a real bind.
0: So did we also confine ourselves uh, to too few vaccines?
1: Yes. We did. that. I believe that because Pfizer did come in February and did offer to enter the market, but then they were told to do a bridging study, which now they have relaxed. The government has relaxed. They were not willing to do that. They're never willing to do that. They were not willing to do the same in H1N1 because they said, we've got all approvals. You see, they don't really care for the Indian market because they already have whatever they're producing being bought in the Western markets at a huge price of $20 a shot. So they, they, they know that their vaccine is affordable only to a small segment of India's population. But nevertheless, even that we could have tied up, which we didn't realize the need for. And as I said, there were several other policy options we had which we didn't explore because we really did think that these two companies would be adequate. That's what I, I feel might have been the reason for this unpreparedness of uh, availability of uh, vaccines today. And absolutely no stockpiling. Why the 66 million doses were exported? Uh, I don't think they had a thinking that there would be such a demand so fast. And they got into that vaccine my three program, um, which they must be regretting now, but whatever.
0: Mr. Gopikumar, would you like to talk about uh, vaccine, uh, public-funded, uh, you know, vaccine research, and uh, you know what? I, actually, I mean, there, there's lots of uh, discussion about that. I mean, even the AstraZeneca vaccine, for instance, uh, one of the recent reports in the Guardian says that it's 97% funded by public and charitable sources, and yet uh, we have, uh, for one thing, we have differential pricing, and uh, another thing is that you know it's not open sourced. So, uh, do you have any comments on the way public-funded vaccine research has finally been, uh, you know, uh, in some sense,
2: commercialized? Yes, absolutely. Uh, During the peak of, uh, you know, trips uh, and access to medicine uh, uh, debate uh, in the early uh, 2000s, we were told that, okay, look, uh, the main justification for intellectual property protection is uh, is because it's a mechanism to recoup the R&D investment. So if there is a public investment in the R&D, then you can separate the cost of R&D from the cost of the, uh, or price of the product. So that way you can make the innovation happen as well as ensure access. But in the case of COVID, it's all funded by 93 billion, as per the one calculation around 93 billion uh, dollars were spent uh, by the various governments for vaccine research. And all these vaccines, whether it's Moderna, it's 100% uh, publicly funded. Uh, AstraZeneca, around 97%. Uh, Pfizer's vaccine, though Pfizer denies that it does not receive any uh, public funding, but the uh, innovator company, the BioNTech, uh, uh, got uh, huge public funding from the German government. And also Pfizer also got around $2 billion as part of the advanced market commitment. So all these companies received Uh, the public funding and after receiving the public funding uh, uh, there was a complete de-risking of R&D as well as manufacturing happened but now they are not ready to give up the monopoly they still control uh, control the uh, the, both the technology and uh, uh, preventing the uh, scaling up of the production if you need to scale it's very clear you need to scale up the production all these companies are not in a position to meet the global demand so you have to scale up the production. So for that, you need to share the technology. They are not ready to do that. Even the developed countries are preventing it. But we do, uh, we do have to take a lesson that uh, uh, the Serum Institute, uh, which has uh, received uh, the technology free of cost uh, from AstraZeneca and which also received uh, funding from uh, foundations like GATE Foundation for expand its manufacturing capability, but still uh now uh, indulging in differential pricing and uh, charging a huge money which is disproportionate to their expenditure or investment uh, which they put uh, for the manufacturing of vaccine so it's an eye opener uh, so the problem uh, is that you know the monopoly and profit not uh, actually the uh, uh, you know the idea of recouping of your R&D investment and we should uh, uh, Treat vaccine as a public good because there is a huge public spending on uh, this uh, these products.
0: So, Doctor Rao, actually, I, I, is there any precedent for uh, the present policy of uh, states acquiring their own vaccine and then uh, differential pricing for private sector? You know, you have a long experience with the vaccines.
1: No, never. Not uh, not. Uh, uh, you know, the government of India has had a universal immunization program starting from the sixties picking up traction during Rajiv Gandhi's time in the 80s. And it really became a very uh, global priority from 91, 92 with the world uh, WHO piloting it and particularly the entry of polio pulse program for eradication of polio from 1995. So in all these uh, programs where immunization was being done by the government uh, vaccine-preventable diseases, those days it was six now, steadily, we give 14 vaccines in, under this program. And here, it is uh, completely centrally procured. And uh, that's a conscious decision because when you do central procurement as a single buyer, you have the advantage of market power and you can beat down the prices. So you get really rock-bottom prices. Hepatitis B used to cost 750 rupees in the open market per dose. When government of India entered it, it came down to less than 200 and then later on crashed further to less than 100. Similarly, with all other vaccines, we'd see the same trend. So, uh, the, 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 and this has been the experience even with drugs because we're a huge market. So, when you fragment the market and you allow him to set the price, you're literally giving away all your advantages for, to the pharma companies to make uh, their so-called super profits. Uh, there is no other uh, economic rationale why you're, f- you're fragmenting the market. Now, in this context, I would just like to say one more point, and that is that the government of India has a constitutional obligation to stop the interstate transfer of, of infectious diseases jumping from one state to another. It falls, this obligation falls under the concurrent list. And the state governments, no doubt, Uh, under the state list are responsible for public health. And that's why they're running around oxygen and bags and gloves and doctors and uh, hospital beds and so on and so forth. So under this arrangement, because it's a concurrent list, right from the beginning the central government has under all infectious diseases, malaria, TB, leprosy, HIV, uh, all infectious diseases, there have been national programs under which the government of India has procured and supplied to the states vaccines, consumables, drugs, essential drugs, and so on, at very low prices because of the market power that they were able to get. And the state governments would implement. Why the government of India is giving up that advantage today? Can you imagine uh, if the government of India issued a tender asking for 1.2 or 1.3 billion doses, how the prices would crash and how many of the Pfizer's and Moderna's would immediately rush in how many Americas they have to be vaccinated to get this one single order. Now, why we are not able to get a large number of suppliers to provide immediately concurrently uh, by fixing a base price based on the lowest that we get in the tenders. Uh, There's so many strategies, I mean, I I can spell them out, and and quickly uh, achieve our target beats me. I really don't understand what the compelling factors are for government of India to be giving up that advantage. Um, It's a 60000 crore market. Uh, 35000 crores was already provided for in the budget. And if it is a question of financing, they could always make this, because I understand the other vaccines are childhood vaccines, and it's a limited market of, say, 30 million doses. And this is much, much, much larger. So you can have a financing arrangement with the states like a centrally sponsored scheme where the state, uh, you know, shares 30 or 40% of the total cost and the central government puts in 60 or 70% of the total cost as opposed to 100% before. That is understandable, but the procurement should be won so that you get a uh, really a good price. That I'm not able to understand.
0: So I'd like to go back to this uh, intellectual property rights question. So the economists, like even recently, some of the international economists have said that intellectual property rights were never designed for use during a pandemic, and uh, therefore what is happening now is a little incongruent. So uh, what I mean uh, what uh, avenues do people have to use the existing, uh, you know, framework of laws and you know conventions to, uh, you know, see that? Uh, actually, these IP rights, is, they are thrown open and uh, you know, more vaccines are produced. And uh, in fact, there's a call for a people's vaccine. So do you have any comments on uh, that aspect, intellectual property rights and a people's vaccine?
2: I think uh, you know, when we look at uh, vaccines, uh, there are two types of intellectual property rights are, uh, have been used to control the competition. One is patent and another is the trade secret. As far as patent is concerned, the government can issue a compulsory license and create a freedom of operation for any potential manufacturers to produce. But uh, there is a regulatory system which uh, acts as an enforcement agency for the trade secret protection. As a result, even though you have a compulsory license, it would be difficult to produce the vaccine by a non-originator company uh, very quickly. I'll just uh, tell you the example. If you produce a small molecule, that regulatory agencies never look at what kind of manufacturing process is followed uh, to produce that generic version of that small molecule, like a paracetamol. Uh, they will look at what end of the day is, is a para- produced by the non-originator company or a generic company is the paracetamol or not. If it's a paracetamol, that company get a marketing approval. But in the case of vaccine, uh, the regulatory agency insists that the uh, non originator company uh, has to uh, is following the manufacturing process of the originator, but the manufacturing process of the originator is not in the public domain; it is kept as a trade secret, so we do not have a compulsory licensing mechanism or anything to uh, uh, to reveal that uh, information to uh, to, uh, to the no- potential non originator companies. the only agency which can do such kind of uh, sharing of that information with the regulatory agencies, uh, 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 sorry, with the uh, uh, potential manufacturer is the regulatory agencies. But regulatory agencies also treat this dossier submitted by the originator companies as a trade secret. So therefore, India and South Africa approach the WTO, asking that you give us the right to waive the protection and enforcement of certain intellectual property rights uh, in the context of covid medical products so that waiver if adopted can use uh, can be used by the regulatory agencies to share the dossiers uh, to uh, to the potential manufacturers and you can speed up the production so basically a potential manufacturer uh, right now uh, countries uh, existing in countries like india uh, or even uh, china or in uh, brazil has the technological capability to to replicate the technology without the help of the originator but the regulatory framework insists that if you uh, if you are uh, replicating the technology without the help of the originator then you have a burden to prove safety and efficacy that means you have to carry out the clinical trials so that is resource as well as time consuming so that can slow down the production uh, of uh, uh, of uh, of uh, you know this vaccine uh, by a non-originator company so we need to uh, do two prong actions one is the regulatory agencies should waive the uh, regulate uh, the clinical trial requirements by developing an accelerated pathway for the uh, non-originator companies and second W, the w, uh, not WHO, uh, but, uh, but the national regulatory agencies should uh, share the originator's dossier with the potential manufacturers. So while doing these two actions, you can uh, create an enabling environment for many of the vaccine manufacturers to enter into the market without the help of the originator company. That is what we should do. Dr. Rao, you have so
1: It's a little, as Gopa has said, it's, a, it's really quite complicated because even during H1N1, though the seed had come from Indonesia and WHO was trying to make a universal availability of uh, the processes and so on, Pfizer still had a control and were not willing to share. And uh, so the, there was some kind of a problem in trying to uh, get the technology transfer. In vaccines, as he has said, it is a bit complex but nevertheless having done that there are means available and if u.s does support india and south africa it is possible to find ways and means of making this into a public good and uh, and uh, have uh, countries to take up this manufacture of these vaccines largely because right now the vaccine inequity is unjustifiable uh, 70 80 percent is with the developed countries of whatever vaccines that are available, maybe about uh, 17, I mean, about maybe 10, 17, or 19% is with the middle-income countries, whereas the low-income countries have virtually nothing. So so therefore, I think this uh, uh, will be uh, issue of concern in the coming days, uh, because there is now a clamor for vaccines to be uh, distributed equitably, Though Gavi did set up a mechanism under COVAX, India turned out to be the biggest supplier. Though not many countries willing to supply, and uh, India's serum is the one that gave 38 million doses, which they then distributed. Out of which again, India got about 10 or 15 million doses from COVAX. Uh, so these these uh, kind of international arrangements have to be done. Having said that, in India itself. Uh, We do have a co-vaccine produced by uh, Bharat Biotech, where ICMR has been a very active partner, a knowledge partner in the process. So I really don't know who holds the patent here. And I suspect that ICMR must be a joint patent holder for sure. Uh, And they should be able to leverage that advantage to take it round and get other companies we have about 20 manufacturing companies in the country and uh, depending on the state of technology the state of readiness this uh, the wrapping up of the production of o vaccine at least can be done which i think is going to be much more robust uh, as a gut feeling to compared to covishield it certainly is efficacy 78% as compared to 60% of covishield and so we should put our bet on this co-vaccine, but uh, it's also wrapped up in, con- in confidence that I don't know who, who is the patent holder. Uh, that said, you know, if if uh, Bharat Biotech, which uh, Mr. Ella was on TV saying, he has so far incurred an expenditure of 350 crores, well, certainly some part of the uh, product can be given to him and royalty be paid, to not royalty, but... Some amount of compensation money can certainly be given to him uh, to for compensating the investments that he might have made. And the rest of it, because ICMR is an active partner, they should be able to make this available to other companies to quickly manufacture. Instead of Bharat Biotech getting into individual bilateral contracts with the manufacturing companies and producing uh, doses for India's market and pricing it so ridiculously high so i think there's a lot of scope available provided the government of india is genuinely interested in ensuring universal vaccination at the least cost to itself
2: so if may i add yeah, something please, please. Uh, 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 i uh, fully agree with the, uh, uh, what has been said right now uh, now what is happening here is a duopoly vaccine market we need to uh, uh, you know uh, introduce competition in the market by allowing more Companies to come in. None of these companies can meet the demand. There is a huge gap between these two companies. Cannot uh, meet that demand right now. So therefore, it is uh, important to uh, allow more companies to produce this medicine. The government has announced that uh, they have reached some uh, arrangement with the three public sector units to produce uh, a biotech vaccine. But that's not enough. There are companies with the huge capabilities, especially in the private sector. The government. Uh, should uh, step in and allow much more open licensing of Bharat Biotech vaccine because this vaccine is a, a domesticly uh, developed vaccine and government also has a, a also has a, a, a stake in that vaccine and uh, the uh, innovator uh, that's uh, Bharat Biotech can be uh, you know nobody is saying that they should not be compensated with a fair competition uh, sorry compensation should be provided and this technology should be shared in fair and equitable manner uh, uh, and to scale up the production so this is the need of the hour okay we should not hesitate uh, to do that and uh, we should stop this uh, vaccine duopoly in the market further there are around seven companies obtained um, a contract manufacturing license uh, from sputnik to produce i think uh, this production also to be start, uh, facilitated at the earliest uh, of course again here comes the uh, regulatory uh, uh, burden of uh, you know uh, carrying out uh, bridging studies etc. But there are seven companies. The regulatory agencies should uh, you know speed up uh, their uh, regulatory requirements and one wave of looking at the um, uh, data and uh, then they should uh, encourage these companies to uh, you know not encouragement but a, a facilitation of the uh, production at the earliest
0: so actually uh, if you take the who's process there are several vaccines uh, that have been submitted to who and uh, it's possible that there might be uh, you know developers who don't want uh, royalty on uh, their vaccine and they are willing to open source it and uh, potentially this might uh, be approved by uh, you know who so in that circumstance uh, should the government of india then uh, be open to receiving uh, that that and producing it here so that it can be distributed far more widely because I, I imagine that you would want to have more vaccines as you will have to have repeated vaccinations in the future which also involves uh, you know cost for everybody the individual and for the government
2: yeah the who system of pre-qualification uh, now uh, or, uh, in the uh, uh, days of pandemic is called emergency use listing uh, these are uh, very very cumbersome procedure Uh, and it is taking time and uh, we can see that you know till now uh, only three vaccines have been uh, pre-qualified or emergency use uh, listing mechanism approved only three vaccines Uh, so this is uh, very time consuming and only companies with certain technological and financial capabilities can meet that requirement but uh, you know the need the need of the hour is uh, you know uh, uh to uh, produce at the earliest and countries are uh, entering into bilateral contracts to uh, buy these uh vaccines from uh you know various countries wherever it is available so i think uh, uh india's regulatory agencies and indian companies uh, uh who are capable of producing a quality uh, vaccine uh, so therefore it will not be a problem for them to produce and uh, even to uh, sell to countries at an affordable price to facilitate the global vaccination program because if a part of the population is left globally uh, without uh, access to vaccine our efforts uh, to vaccine our own population will not uh, end, uh, you know will not result in that uh, 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 the required result because we will be in danger if nobody is uh, you know safe until everyone is safe so dr Rons- No, having
1: said that you know who maybe having some candidate vaccines uh, but, you know, the, there's no harmonization of regulatory mechanisms in the world. Uh, right now, when the government of India has liberalized and said uh, even foreign uh, vaccines can come provided they have an FDA uh, approval, uh, these vaccines that WHO is uh, certifying, we need to have some kind of a stringent regulatory uh, regulator having cleared it uh, because the WHO's own pre-authorization processes are pretty uh, time-consuming, so they won't be able to clear them in the tra- in the conventional, traditional sense of the term. So in such a situation, uh, even after some trials, quick trials they have done and they certified that this is good, safe, and efficacious, Government of India, in the absence of any other regulator having looked at it, may ask for bridging trials to be done. So, in which case, that, that process they might insist upon. But all said and done, as Gopa has said, it is time-consuming. Uh, but I personally feel that we should, today, we should be as open as possible. Uh, and as long as efficacy, safety is ensured, we should go for it. Because really, we are talking today, right now in this discussion, we're only looking at domestic demand. You forget that we also have an obligation to provide these vaccines to COVAX, which is a responsibility that we cannot range on, the uh, serum vaccine itself, Serum Company uh, SII, has already taken an advance of three hundred million dollars from Gavi and Gates Foundation to supply to me two hundred million, uh, uh, you know, six hundred million worth of vaccines. That's two hundred million dollars at uh, two hundred million vaccines at three dollars each. And for that, they've already taken an advance of 300. So they have to provide those uh, doses to them. Only a legal notice has been given by AstraZeneca. So it's a very, very tight situation today. And uh, to get out of this mess that we're seeing in wave two, we have to uh, talk about 70% of our population being vaccinated. That's the only way out, it seems to me. I'm no great scientist or epidemiologist, but what little I know, I think unless and until we have vaccinated 70%, and that's why the figure of 974 million doses uh, comes in, uh, people come in, so that constitutes the 70%. So, you know, unless and until we reach the target, uh, it's going to be difficult. So I don't think these two companies can do very much and government of India has to think smart, think fast, and think very quickly and take very quick decisions because they lost a little luxury of the little window that they had. So now they really got to work double speed.
0: So I'd like to uh, actually conclude by asking, uh, should the present vaccine pricing policy be reviewed?
1: I strongly say yes. There's no justification whatsoever for the kind of prices that uh, both, Dr. Punawala and Dr. Ella Rao have given. Uh, their, their excuse is, Mr. Punawala says, I need the super profits to reinvest again. We have to remember that he's got gap funding from WHO for uh, stimulating his vaccine production capability during the two years, 2017 to now. He's got the $600 million market from Gavi of which he's already received $300 million in cash. What is he doing for the last six months? Where has he used it? We don't know. Plus, the government of India is giving him 3,000 crores. Uh, again, we don't know when uh, he will put the action on that. And with all this money, he's only promising a doubling of 50 million doses to 100 million doses in the next two months. When, he, when uh, uh, people tell me that 1,500 crores can get you 100 million do- doses capacity. So really he has enough money and there was no need at all for pricing the product to make super profits at this time when uh, we are in such a bad shape. And where Dr. is concerned, if he says he got preferential treatment in getting all the the raw materials and everything from NIV Pune, ICMR kicked in, his phase three trial would never, never have been possible. But for ICMR backing him up in such a short time, they, both these companies were given huge relaxations of uh, emergency authorization, even without the full submission of data. So to begin with, they have to get a full license. Now it's three months over since they got that emergency authorization. They must get a proper license as per the law to be able to market commercial marketing of the vaccines. Now, you know, if government is going to depend even on that rule, it's a very huge concession. What if they spend the money on? For them to be wanting more money, and Dr. Rao says, "I'm a justification for the high prices." He wants that money to reinvest again in expanding his. Uh, but already, government of India is giving him fifteen hundred crores. So I think you know there is an element of greed that has gotten, and uh, I feel sorry because this is not the moment when these companies should be thinking of the profiteering. This is the Sipla moment. This is as bad as it was in two thousand, when multinational companies uh, were charging twelve thousand U.S. dollars for HIV drugs, and millions, millions were dying for want of treatment. And that moment is the moment when Cipla came forward and produced drugs for three hundred dollars. That uh, active action was so disruptive that uh, the market just crashed, and India was able to finally produce uh these drugs for less than 140 million, 140 dollars per head which enabled at least 45 countries people live millions of people's lives were saved this is that moment not to be thinking of making super profits to buy a flat in france
2: mr gopakumar yeah, it is unfortunate that you know Indian companies like uh, Serum Institute and uh, and Bharat Biotech is uh, speaking the same language like uh, big companies. Uh, reinvestment, recouping of investment, etc., is the language which uh, we uh, we are familiar and we have been hearing this from the big pharma. Uh, but the business model of uh, companies from developing countries was always making profit on a volume and selling at a lower price when, uh, the huge beneficiary of this uh, arrangement is uh, Saram Institute when they uh, uh, sold uh, the meningitis vaccine for 40 cents uh, uh, to WHO uh, or, or to Gavi uh, 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 to distribute in the African meningitis belt. And the same companies are now talking about a differential pricing and reinvestment. Uh, this is this is uh, quite unfortunate and. Uh, especially uh, Saram Institute, which has not spent a single money either for R&D of this vaccine or even for manufacturing. They got all the money from various agencies and it should be treated as a public good. And as far as Bharat Bhayatak, it's a, uh, also use the facilities of Government of India and um, there should be transparency uh, with regard to the R&D expenditure. And based on that, the, the, you no, know, nobody is saying that they should. Uh, no, they should not be compensated. There can be arrangements for fair compensation, but they should not hold uh, their cost for profit, and uh, uh, you know it should not hold the people's life. Uh, you know, on on edges. So that is the uh, uh, sh- uh, that is what's the need of the hour. And don- I mean, end of the day, the government has the constitutional responsibility. Okay, companies may tell whatever they want to tell. But the government of India has the constitutional obligation to protect people's health under Article 21 of the Constitution, and they should rise to the occasion and fulfil their, you know, Raj Dharma. So that's been uh, a
0: most uh, useful and interesting discussion. With a lot of light thrown on, uh, you know, what choices we have on the vaccine front and public-funded vaccine research. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing at short notice to join me and you know setting aside time. Thank you very much once again. Thank you. Thank you.